Okay, so firstly, um, I just wanted to really say it is such a joy and privilege um, to be here today for myself and Grace. We've loved, we've loved it, haven't we? Um, sorry, not Grace. <laughs> You're Grace. It's really confusing because we go to Grace Church, so I get the graces mixed up. So it's been a joy and a privilege for Dawn and I to be here this week. We've absolutely loved it. Um, I just wanted to say a special thanks to Chris Main, wherever you are. Chris, I'm sorry to embarrass you, but you're a legend. Like. <laughs> Chris has spoiled us with, she's made us cream tea, scones, homemade ice cream, beef casseroles, um, and it just the best. She's blown our socks off and it's been amazing. And thank you to Becky as well for all your organizing and just like all the admin stuff that I'm rubbish at. So thank you so much. Um, Grace um, asked me to share something with you today and she said just anything that could be encouraging. Um, so I really hope and pray you'll hear something today that will encourage you. And obviously my aim is to glorify the Lord. So I became a Christian in 2005 in my early 20s. Um, part of my story of coming to faith was actually doing an Alpha course in this church. Um, and it was before, it was Gateway, it was um, Older Road Baptist Church. Um, and there's lots of people here that have been here way before my time. So um, in my early 20s, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, and in my early 20s, um, pretty out the blue overnight, I struggled with my mental health profoundly. Um, really, really bad anxiety and panic attacks. Um, it was it was really difficult. It literally turned my life upside down. And actually, even 20 years ago, we talked about mental health a lot less than we talk about it now. It was a really difficult time. So in my struggling, I decided to turn to God, if there was a God, and I was praying and asking God, if, if you're real, I really need to know you because I can't, can't survive. Um, and I started working in a new job, and um, I was sat next to a Christian at my workplace, and I started asking him all the usual questions that we have. How does God allow suffering? Why would a good God send people to hell, etc.? And my colleague was very helpful. He explained lots of things to me over the course of probably about a year. Um, and then I came to a place where I put my trust in Jesus, I repented, and I became a follower of Christ. So there I was, my early 20s, no kind of history of church. Um, I was a newborn baby. And just like newborn babies, human babies, they don't know how to walk or talk or feed or clean. They have a lot to learn. And that was just like me and you when we become Christians. I, didn't, I knew Jesus had died for me. I knew that I was forgiven. But I didn't understand um, what a church was, how that functioned. I didn't know about God's character. I didn't really know how he wanted me to live. Um, and that is what God has been doing since I've become a believer is teaching us. Um, I recently came across this psalm and it just really impacted me. Psalm 86 verse 11. And it says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. And it just really struck me that, oh, Lord, all these years of following you, you have used struggles and trials and suffering to teach me your ways and to help me to not have that undivided heart 
He's revealed to me ways that I have idols in my life and the things that I cling on to with that closed fist that Dawn talks about. Um, left to my own devices, and we've been talking about this on our table uh, during our discussion time. Left to my own devices, I am a very prideful person. I like to be in control of my kingdom, my world. I like to be independent. I like to be self-sufficient. I want people to think good things about me. I want people to think, oh, because she's so strong. And actually, when we go through suffering, it just takes takes that out. <laughs> you can't be like that. And so through suffering, suffering and struggles with my anxiety, God has used that to chip away at that pride, at that wanting to be self-sufficient. It, it forces you to have to share your life with brothers and sisters because you can't walk it alone. You have to come to church. You have to show up. You have to go to home group. You have to be reminded constantly of the truth that Jesus is all we need and that Jesus is faithful. So my family, we moved to the UAE about nearly seven years ago now. So we used to obviously come to this church and we love coming back to Gateway. We love coming back to Dorset in general, but just Gateway is like our home church, really. And just being here as well on Sunday, uh, just gone, being at both sites, um, it was just a reminder to me that this church is awesome. And I really want to commend you, Gateway, where you love people. You are a church for the broken and the hurting. And it is beautiful to see and witness as an outsider that goes, comes and goes, I can see it, and it blows my mind. Um, and I'm so very grateful for all the love you have poured upon me in those years. I was that lady, you know, that comes in week after week with red puffy eyes. I'm embarrassed at how desperate I was for God, but I kept coming back. And I was met by some incredible people who displayed the grace and kindness of God and uh, I hope that it's okay. I feel it's appropriate. I would just like to honor some people today um, that have really um, impacted my life. And so I don't mean to embarrass people, but it probably will. So Brenda, <laughs> I remember turning up at your house, heavily pregnant, and just like, Brenda, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. I think I need antidepressants. Help me. You didn't have the answers, but you prayed and you pointed me to Jesus. Claire Rabjohns, for the way you just come alongside me week after week and just encouraged me, put your arms around me, accepted me as I was. Vicky Clark, Vicky Stamp, the truths you spoke over me week after week. Becky Carrier, for the, the, um, all the company you gave me when I was scared to be on my own. And Rachel, you're going to kill me for this, but Rachel Jablonski for looking after my kids when I couldn't, like I physically couldn't. And uh, it was just God's kindness. And then, of course, <laughs> there was this formidable female leader, Grace. <laughs> and that's the word that comes to mind, Grace. It's formidable. I had not experienced this strong female godly woman and Grace, you have no idea how your gifting and love has impacted my life. You have no idea. And the fruit of that is carried on, right, in Abu Dhabi and in my life. So, you know, praise God for that. And just as an encouragement to everyone, a lot of this time I was actually, my husband was an elder here. So I was like one of the elder's wives. And 
I, I, ha- I don't have it together. And I think a lot of the time people look at the leadership and they're like, oh, they're all together. But I really wasn't. And as Dawn would describe it, I was a hot mess. <laughs> That's a phrase I've learned from Dawn. But I was a hot mess. So just to say, I think the enemy loves it when, when, when we feel that, oh, everyone's together, everyone gets it, but it's just me, I don't. It's just not true. So anyway, uh, back to my anxiety. This continued. Um, <laughs> so, it continued. <laughs> I was quite confused, I think. I mean, I continue to be confused, but the thing I was quite confused about my early Christian life uh, was to understand what God's promises were in my life. And I think a lot of the time I felt like the outcome of my situation depended on how much faith I had as opposed to who I had faith in. And sometimes I would hang on to pictures that people had given me in love and they were correct as opposed to the word of God. So for me, that was a game changer, really understanding, well, what does God promise me? What can I hang my hat on? Because when you feel anxious, you're looking for that solid kind of ground. So um, that was an absolute game, game changer for me. So um, just to finish to say that obviously when suffering does continue for many, many years, and it does for many believers, um, it's really, really hard. So I'm like going on 20 years on my journey with anxiety. And praise God, it's like a million times better than it was. Um, but this isn't one of those stories where it was like, oh, and then I was healed. Like I'm still walking that path. I still take medication. I have to make sure I eat healthy-ish. Uh, I still, you know, need to exercise and do those sort of things. So there isn't, there hasn't been a miraculous healing, but for sure I look back and I see the faithfulness of God and the improvement. So, and just one very final encouragement I wanted to share, and I just really want felt compelled to share this, um, is in those times of suffering, uh, it, you know, where those anxiety panic, panic attacks came. Well, maybe not panic attacks because I can't think very well then, but when I was very anxious, um, there God showed me that there was a joy in suffering that cannot be experienced in any other way. Um, and Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table for, before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Um, and I just have experienced that many times that in that painful time, but I've had that communion with God. And it's amazing in the Christian faith how you can have the parallel of suffering and your mind is in a knot and messy, but this joy, this sweetness, this peace, this contentment, with God and in God, and uh, just to encourage you that um, if those things can kind of coexist together, and um, and that is so encouraging, really, because it gives you the strength to endure and to keep going those moments with the Lord. So I just wanted to to finish up with that. So anyway, that's a little bit of my story. So thank you for listening. Great, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dawn. Isn't it encouraging to hear from a sister what God has done in her life? It strengthens our faith. We need to share our stories. All glory to him. Right. Oh, it encourages. It is such a good thing to hear of how the Lord transforms a heart. And then the story is one of still struggle. Right. 
uh, as we wait for the coming of our King. But oh, how God has done a beautiful work. Thank you, Tash. Encouraged my heart and also testified to the beauty of a church body coming alongside one another, right? And the need we have to be with one another. Ah, encouraging. Mm. All right, ladies. We have come to the last chapter of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3. I will read through the chapter and then we'll jump in and go verse by verse like the past two sessions. Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bone into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the pro produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and there be no herd in the stalls, or sorry, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed 
instruments. Hmm. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to Habakkuk chapter 3, expectant. Father, teach us through these words of your prophet Habakkuk about you. Help us in this time to lift our gaze up and to see you. For some in this room, Lord, to see you like they have never seen you before. Oh God, we need to see you. Reveal through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Habakkuk has been wrestling with God's word and God's ways. He began in confusion and frustration with God's silence and then more confusion and anxiety at God's answer that he will deal with the sin of his people through a brutal military force. But the Babylonians will not escape his justice. Judgment is coming for the people of God and complete judgment is coming for Babylon. But the righteous will live. They will live through that judgment by faith, by trusting what God says and not what they see. The question as we have gone through the last two sessions and as we go through this chapter is this, how do we live by faith when life is hard? We'll see that living by faith here and laments are on this parallel track together. So as we learn what living by faith looks like, we'll also, we'll also be learning about biblical lament in chapter 3. The chapter begins with a request. And then Habakkuk remembers, rehearses, and rejoices. And each one requesting, remembering, rehearsing, rejoicing is involved in biblical lament. So let's read verse 1. This is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. This prayer of Habakkuk is a psalm. We know that because of that word Shigianoth, which is a musical term. No one's really sure exactly what it means, but it's found in the Old Testament in one other place, in Psalm 7, which is also a psalm of lament. And we also see that word Selah, three times in this chapter. That's also a musical term that's found only in the Psalms and here in Habakkuk 3. And then, looking at the end of the chapter, that last line to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is a song to be sung corporately by the people of God while they wait, when the Babylonians come. This is amazing to me, that God gives to his people songs to sing, poetry to be recited when life is hard. Oh, how he loves and cares for his children. And while we don't know the tune to this song, this is also a psalm for us while we wait, when we're struggling under the pressures in this life. And again, what we're asking as we go through this chapter is how do we live by faith? And as we learn about faith, we will also be learning about lament. 
The psalm of Habakkuk ends with the prophet rejoicing. It ends with him placing his trust in God. My question is, how did he get there? My question is, how did he get from where he was in chapter 1 to rejoicing? Have you ever been frustrated or just puzzled when someone talks about the need to trust God with a particular situation in your life? And your question, though, you may not say it out loud, is, how do I get there in my heart? I want to live a life of trusting God. I want to rejoice always, like Philippians 4.4 says. But so often it feels like I'm missing the mark, and I just don't know how to get there in my heart. Chapter 3 of Habakkuk is a helpful, hopeful guide. It is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And it begins with a request. So let's read verse 2. This is Habakkuk's humble request. I almost said Habakkuk, ladies. Whoa. Whoa. What is happening here? Okay. Verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. When we read Old Testament prophets, it's helpful to listen for the tone in the prophet's words. The tone of Habakkuk's prayer is important here. At the beginning of chapter 3, there is a change in tone from his previous prayers, which means that something has happened between chapter 2 and chapter 3 in Habakkuk's heart. Remember the last thing Habakkuk said at the beginning of chapter 2 was, I will look out to see what God will say and how I will answer him. But there's been a change since he said those words. Instead of coming back with a rebuttal here, Habakkuk sings. We don't know how long it took between those two chapters in his heart, but clearly Habakkuk had a lot to think through after all that God had said, and he had some choices to make. Habakkuk here is pondering and processing God's work, past and present, and his response here is fear, awe of who God is, what he has done, and what he promises he will do. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, the Lord said, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Habakkuk here says, your work do I fear. Fear is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. Whom do you fear? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Habakkuk's response was fear and awe of God. He has been humbled. And he now has this humble request to make. What is Habakkuk's humble request? Look back at verse 2. His request is this. In the midst of the years, in the midst of all that you said you will do in these years ahead, God, revive your work, make it known, and remember mercy. What does he mean by revive your work? He's asking God to preserve his work, to do what he had promised. You have promised, God, the righteous shall live. You have rescued your people before. Rescue your people again and make it known. O oh Lord, make your work known. 
in the midst of these years of struggle so your people will see and know what you are doing. And then he says, in wrath, remember mercy. He's asking God to remember. It's not as if he thinks that God is forgetful here. This is the prophet pleading a promise. You are a merciful God. Be true to who you say that you are. Be merciful in this time of judgment. That word mercy is a tender-hearted compassion. We see it in Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The prophet is pleading the promise, Lord, your compassion is like a father to his child. Be who you have promised you will be. And one thing to notice is that we don't see Habakkuk pointing his finger any longer at Babylon and how wicked that nation is compared to Judah. His perspective has shifted. He knows that Judah doesn't deserve to be saved from what God is about to do. Habakkuk is now seeing things through a different lens. He's now seeing the situation the way God sees it. And that word wrath in verse 2, it's an interesting word. It's a different Hebrew word than when, where we normally see that word wrath used. It does mean anger, but it also means here trembling. One way to read this is in this time of trembling, remember compassion. That word tremble comes up more than once in this chapter. It's one of the key words of chapter 3. So Habakkuk here is no longer trying to plead his case before God. He is now placing his confidence in the character of God. But let me just say this before we move on. This doesn't necessarily mean that the questions have just disappeared. Trusting God doesn't mean that we just pretend the unanswered, un unanswered questions don't exist. But it's what we do when those questions come that matters. Recently, I met with uh, a woman who does gospel work in the region where I live, who has endured so much hardship. Wave after wave of difficulty has crashed into her life. I've seen her walk through deep pain. And just when she thought there was a reprieve from it all, another set of waves, painful and hard, has just crashed over her. And we were talking through what had just happened, and she said this to me. And keep this in mind as I share what she said. She believes in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. As we were talking about how hard things has, had gotten again for her, she said this. It just feels like God is mean. How do you respond to that? Years ago, I would have responded much differently than I do now. My response to her was, it does seem that way, doesn't it? Because, sisters, it did seem that way. It felt like that. We went on to talk about how confusing God's love is at times when we would never allow something like this to happen to someone we love if we could prevent it, but God didn't prevent it. What are we to do with the feelings or thoughts that circle around that reality? 
There are decisions to be made when it comes to our feelings and the way we are interpreting what's happening in our lives. We are constantly interpreting what is happening around us and in our lives. We will lean on our own interp interpretation based on our feelings, place our trust in how we see things and what we feel, or we will acknowledge those feelings. They're legit, they're real. It felt like God was mean, but it doesn't mean those feelings were true. So then we look at what God says in his word about who he is and what he promises, and we resolve that God's word has the final say in my heart. Living by faith is not placing our trust in our own interpretations of what's happening and our own feelings. It's placing our trust in the promises of God in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do your feelings, based on your interpretations, have the final word when life is hard? Or do the promises of God in Scripture have that final say? Let's ask that same question of Habakkuk. Did Habakkuk's interpretation and feelings about God and his ways have the final say? From the previous chap chapters to the prophet, it felt like God was distant. It felt like he was uncaring, unloving, unjust. But here in chapter 3, he is trusting the character of God. Living by faith is placing our confidence in the character of God, not in our interpretation, definitely not in our feelings, in one word about lament here, a lament always involves a request. It involves asking God to act according to his character. So in verse 2, Habakkuk makes a humble request. And now in verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk remembers and rehearses. Verse 3, God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. This verse, verse starts with these two words, God came. This speaks of the character of our God. He came. He showed up. The Holy One who sits enthroned above the earth came. He is faithful. Where did he come from? Verse 3, from Timon and from Mount Paran. Those in Habakkuk's day would recognize these locations. Judah, where Habakkuk is, is in the north, and God is coming from the south. Egypt is in the south. The wilderness wanderings of the Exodus happened in the south. Mount Paran would make them think of Mount Sinai, when God proclaimed his covenant to Moses after rescuing his people from slavery. God came. This will be an anchor for the, their faith in the trembling times to come. Back in Deuteronomy 33, 2, in the final blessing from Moses to Israel before he died, when they were on the edge of the promised land, he said this, God came from Sinai. He shone forth from Mount Paran with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. Habakkuk is calling to mind the steadfast love of God, of the God who came. 
This is the song they will need to sing when their lives are turned upside down and they need him to come again. And how did God come? What specifically is Habakkuk remembering? He's remembering that in God's holiness and splendor, God came in power. This is a song remembering and rehearsing the limitless power of our God. Listen to this poetic language that points to God's power in the Exodus. Verse 4, his brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. This verse calls to mind Mount Sinai. When God met with Moses to give him the law and it was like a thunderstorm. He didn't even unleash all of his power. It was veiled. He revealed just enough which reminds us of how finite we are before the glory and limitless power of our God. Verse 5, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Habakkuk is remembering God's judgment on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt that came in the form of ten plagues. The power of the one true God was on display. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, and the curtains in the land of Midian did tremble. Nature and nations respond to the power of God. Mountains that seem so large to us fall before him. And the nations that seem so powerful to us Tremble before his power. Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? Singing of the sea and the rivers reminds the people of the Red Sea and the River Jordan. How God powerfully delivered more than once through water. His wrath wasn't against the rivers or the sea. And then there is all this imagery of God as a powerful warrior going to battle. Continuing in verse 8, you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation. You stripped the sheath from your bow. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. Verse 12, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed or you trampled the nations, nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. God is on the move. This is an allusion to the conquest of the promised land under Joshua. When the sun stood still and God was the one who trampled the nations that were against his people. God came like a powerful warrior and he came with a purpose. What was the reason God came? He came to bring judgment, but there is another reason why God came. We're going to look back at verse 8 and the description here of the chariot of God. It is a chariot of salvation. And then in verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Salvation is definitely a key word in this chapter and in this book. And it is the hope that Habakkuk 
is clinging to in this song. God saves. God unleashed his power in the time of the exodus to deliver his people. And now Habakkuk is placing his hope in this. God was willing to rescue them then. He was able to rescue them then. And he will do it again. Look back at verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your anointed. When you see that word anointed in the Old Testament, it can refer to a king like when King David was anointed or designated to be king by the prophet Samuel. God promised that a son of David is coming. In this song, they will need to remember that when the invading army comes and enters into their homes, destroys the city of Jerusalem and the temple, all the reminders of the faithfulness of God will soon be rubble before their eyes. And when an invading army comes, they usually kill the king. The line of the king doesn't survive, but God had preserved the king in the line of David up to that point. When it seems hopeless, there is still hope. The anointed one, the Messiah, will come. And then in verse 13, Habakkuk writes, You, God, crushed the head of the house of the wicked. What does that remind you of? Thinking back to Genesis 3.15, the first gospel promise in the Bible. That gospel promise spoken in the curse to the serpent in the garden was that the offspring of the woman, of Eve, will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. There is someone coming who will crush the head of the entire house of the wicked. This promise we know again on this side of the cross, reaches far past Babylon in Habakkuk's day. Habakkuk had no idea all that he was writing in this song. When he wrote of how God came in power to rescue his people by crushing the head of the house of the wicked, they look back at how he had already done that before in the Exodus, and they look ahead and they put their trust in God's promise that he will come again even when it seems like all hope is lost. And on this side of the cross, the exodus that we look back to, the rescue from slavery that we sing about, that we remember and rehearse is God sending his son to save us from our sins. God came. Oh, the mercy and steadfast love of our God in sending his son Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.15 says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Hebrews 2.14, through death Jesus destroyed, crushed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. But again, we are living in the already not yet reality of our salvation. Habakkuk points us to the day when Jesus will return. We read in Revelation about the great city of Babylon, symbolizing all who are opposed to God and his kingdom. The ultimate fulfillment of what God promised to Habakkuk has, is yet to come. A future day of judgment of Babylon will come. 
And just like in the time of Habakkuk, we wait for what God promises. In Revelation 18, it says, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down with violence and be found no more. That is in our future, sisters. And until then, we remember and we rehearse that God came. And he is coming again in power to rescue his people. It's tricky, though, because we, we can be lulled into feeling like this is never really going to happen. It feels maybe a bit too unreal and just so far out there as we look at our own lives and just go through day-to-day -day life. But that is also what the people of Judah were thinking. It's never really going to happen. Here again is where we cling to what God says and not what we see. Now back to what's happening here with Habakkuk. In verse 16, there is this shift from remembering and rehearsing to who God is and what he has done to these words that are, are more personal, words that bring us back to the shocking reality of this situation. Things are about to go from bad to worse before they get better. Verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. The reality for Habakkuk is that the invaders are coming soon. And that is a terrifying thing. What he is describing is his physical response to that reality, the dread, the fear, the anxiety that he's feeling here. The weightiness of all that makes his body tremble. He says, my lips quiver, the tears flow. Isn't it helpful and hopeful that this verse is in the Bible? Especially right here where we are learning about how to live by faith. When fear about our future, whether it's a diagnosis we dread or a loss we hope never happens, when that fear is so overwhelming that we feel it in our body, we look to this verse and we can relate to this, which should cause us to want to read further, to ask of the text, what does living by faith look like when the feelings are that strong? Right after that, Habakkuk says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come on those who invade us. Yet I will. There is a resolve in Habakkuk's fearful heart. Habakkuk's faith is a trembling faith, a trembling trust. That phrase, quietly wait, implies rest. There is a restfulness he is experiencing while his body trembles and the tears come. He's resolved to wait for the day God has promised will come. Where is peace to be found in all the disorienting destruction and sorrow that is about to come? For Habakkuk, peace came as he anchored his hope in God. I will wait for what you will do, God. You were faithful in the past. 
and you haven't changed, you will be faithful. That is where he found rest for his fearful heart. It's like Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I love this psalm, sisters, because the when to me is one of my favorite words in that verse. It means we will be afraid at times. Faith doesn't mean that fear never comes. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Fear will come, but when it comes, where will we anchor our hope? Habakkuk ends this song now with a resolve to rejoice. No matter what loss lies ahead for him, for his family, for his friends, for his nation, Habakkuk resolves to rejoice. Verse 17, though the fig but though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. If the worst case scenario unfolds, these verses in this agrarian culture, this is the worst case scenario. The fields are producing nothing. There are no herds in the stalls. The economy has tanked. If what I fear the most happens, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. My joy will be in God. I will anchor my hope in the God of my salvation. I will not anchor my hope in the things of this world, even those things and those people I fear losing the most, even what brings me security and happiness in this life. In verse 18, Habakkuk uses this phrase for a second time, yet I will. We saw it in verse 16 and now in verse 18. Living by faith, when life is hard, will involve those three words, yet I will. When hardship comes, yet I will rejoice in God. When pain enters my life and I cannot see how God is good in this, yet I will believe, God, that you are good. My ultimate joy will not be in what God gives in the things he provides. It won't be in my health. It won't be in my bank account. It won't be in my house, in my job, in my husband, in my kids, in their future, in my retirement plan, in whatever dreams I have for my life. It will be in the God of my salvation. And what else is Habakkuk anchoring his hope in that causes his heart to rejoice? The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Sisters, the high places are the hard places. It's like on a hike. I love to hike. It's like on a hike, and it's not the meadow that you are walking through, the beautiful meadow with all the flowers, before you get to those switchbacks that, head you, that lead you up to the peak. 
The high places are when you are closer to the peak and the steps you are taking are more difficult and dangerous. Habakkuk is resting and rejoicing in this promise that God will be his strength. Habakkuk is looking ahead to so much loss, uncertain if he will even survive what is about to happen. But he is able to rejoice because of where he is anchoring his hope. Sisters, loss is a reality of life in this broken world. And some of those losses will be deep and will leave us reeling, like verse 16. But no matter how significant the loss, our God never changes. He is still sovereign. He is still good. He is still wise in all that he is doing in our lives. He is the God of our salvation, and he promises to be our strength, to uphold us with his righteous right hand. The journey in the heart of Habakkuk, his lament from chapter 1 to here in chapter 3, has been this movement, I mentioned this at the beginning, this movement from confusion to confidence, from fear to faith. So let's ask this question. What does living by faith look like when the trouble comes? It involves turning to God in prayer, like Habakkuk's humble request, and continuing to turn to God in prayer with a fear and awe of who God is, what he has done in the past, and what he promises he will do. Living by faith involves remembering and rehearsing. Remembering and rehearsing the steadfast love and the limitless power of the Lord who came to save his people. And living by faith involves a resolve to rejoice. A resolve to say or to sing with the prophet, yet I will. Yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation to say with the Apostle Paul, I am sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Many of you, and we're going to end here, many of you probably know, I mentioned Elizabeth Elliot at the beginning, many of you know her story. She lost her first husband just three years after they were married. Her husband, Jim Elliot, was speared to death along with four other men in 1956, trying to share the gospel with a tribe that hadn't heard about Jesus. This is what she wrote, looking back on this deep loss that left her a widow with a 10-month-old daughter. Now, if I had a faith that was determined that God had to give me a particular kind of answer to my particular prayers, that faith would have disintegrated. But my faith had to be founded on the character of God himself. And so what looked like a contradiction in terms, God loves me, God lets this awful thing happen to me, I had to leave in God's hands and say, okay, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I only had two choices. He is either God or he isn't. I am either held in the everlasting arms or I'm at the mercy of chance, and I have to trust him or deny him. Is there any middle ground? 
I don't think so. Sisters, the righteous live by faith, a faith founded on the character of God himself. He is either God or he isn't. There is no middle ground. And whatever you are going through, whatever hardships come throughout your life before your eyes open and you see your king, the question from the Lord for you and for me is this. Will you trust my promises? Will you trust me? And it is a fight of faith to trust him, isn't it? And we wake up and we begin the fight again tomorrow to trust him. And we remember, oh God, you came, you saved, you will come again. You are real. Jesus, you are our living hope. And so we wait, we resolve to wait through the tears, through the laughter, through all that comes in this life. And sisters, we need one another in this life, don't we? We need, especially in those times when life is so very hard, and like Habakkuk, we feel it in our bodies. We need one another to come alongside and to remind us of the grace and goodness of God. We need one another. We cannot do this alone. God has given us the church so that we can run this race together because this race is not easy. And the end, sisters, is so glorious. We must run with perseverance the race set before us, looking to the reward. And what is our reward? It's Jesus. It is Jesus. It is him. Yes, we'll be in heaven, but our reward is him. God sent him, and he is coming again. We are waiting to be with Jesus. And there is so much hope in that. But for now, it is hard, and we wait. But he is coming, sisters. It will seem slow, but he is coming, and he will not delay. Let me pray for us. Oh, God, you came. You came, and we did not deserve you at all. Your grace, your mercy poured out on us by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. God, you came. And we look back to that. We remember and we rejoice. Even when the tears come, oh God, we remember and we rejoice because you are the God of our salvation. We remember and we rejoice because you are our strength on those high places, in the dangerous places of life. You are upholding us. Even when we can't see you, even when we can't feel your nearness, you have promised you will be there. You are upholding us, O oh God. Thank you, O oh Lord. We need you, O oh God. Thank you for being our strength. 
Thank you for being our hope. Thank you that we now look ahead to a future that is so glorious. This life is short. Eternity is long. We want you to come, oh Jesus. We long for you to come. And while we wait, oh God, we ask you would help us to endure. Help us, oh Father, to walk by faith before we get to the time when we will walk by sight. Help us, oh God, we pray in Jesus' holy, glorious, and mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, ladies, this is our last discussion time around the tables. Let's make the most of this time. There, again, are questions up on the screen. However you want to take, just whatever is on your, on your heart, on your mind, what struck you, what stood out to you, maybe that's what you want to answer. What stuck, what's sticking with you that you want to take with you from today. And then there are a couple, couple three other questions I put on the screen. If that helps, just guide your conversation. And then as well, take some time to pray uh, Grace, how long do we have? Um, so I'm going to take about 10 minutes of discussion. Ah, uh, sure. Perfect. Wonderful. All right, 10 minutes. So get at it, ladies. Time is short.